thanks to Jocelyn and Earl for reading God's word to us this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we have read your word and we have heard it. May we now receive it and plant it deep within us that we are shaped by it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Smart members of the congregation, which means all of you, will note that this title of the sermon is exactly the same one of two weeks ago. This is not, you understand, because half a dozen people came to me a fortnight ago and said that was so terrible you need another go. It's rather that there were things that seemed to emerge from these passages in 1 Kings with that question that appears several times in the reading, what are you doing here, that remained unaddressed. So I thought I'd have a take two. One of the most evocative times that I have ever myself used the phrase, what are you doing here, was when our children were small and we'd moved to Devon, to North Devon, during a time in my ministry when I was uh, head of RE and a chaplain in one of our Methodist schools. We'd been there about six months and uh, I was to travel the next day up to Derbyshire as it happened and uh, it was just north as far as our children were concerned. I got up very early the following morning about half past five to travel to Derbyshire for a half ten meeting and I got in our old car and as I turned round to reverse out of our drive in Biddeford in North Devon I heard a rustle from behind the back seat and I looked down over my back seat to find our eldest son then all of about seven and I said to him what are you doing here? And he burst into tears and said, I heard you and mummy talking about going up north. I don't like it here. I want to come with you. I left late that morning. What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, I'm running from something, Lord. You remember what I've just done for you? I've poured water on woods. I've goaded the prophets of Baal all day and you answered with fire and you burnt up the offering and the wood and everything else. Do you remember what I've done for you, Lord? But they're after me. That Queen Jezebel, she's a bad sort. I've destroyed her temple cult of prophets I've cast aspersions upon, aspersions upon the, the greatness of Baal. She's out for me. There's a wanted poster everywhere in the area, dead or alive. Elijah, the prophet of the Lord. So I've run. What are you doing here? Varied, diverse members of Methodist Central Hall, Westminster, on a warm, later July morning. Well, some of us 
are here saying effectively to God, remember how well we've served you down so many years? Remember the time when we've done this course and that course and brought glory to your name? We just hope that you're grateful, God, as we arrive here this morning. And some of us are running away. Perhaps not from death, but from situations you'd rather forget. We're a complicated group of people. There are people, if we did a one-to-one interview and we were honest with ourselves, who are here because this is the hour, the hour and a half in the week of sanctuary from either domestic or life or work situations that are a great trial to us. And this is the place of quietness and healing and fellowship that marks it out as the special time in the week for us. We need to remember that you come into the place of a loving and accepting God. But for some of us, what are you doing here in this church this morning will also be, if we're honest, a place where you run away from God. There's that silly story of a little boy in church and as they do their standing up and sitting down that Darren was on about earlier on, the little lad turns round to his mum near the end of the service and he says, Mum, who are we all hiding from? Coming to church is a really good place to hide from God. Everybody assumes so much. You're here, you must believe. You're here, you must be a disciple. You're here, you must be paid up to all the creed. You're here, therefore you must understand all about Methodism. You're here, therefore you must appreciate Darren. There's all sorts of reasons that enable you to almost hide in the midst of the people of God so that the question, what are you doing here, never quite gets specific enough. but we're wrong. The still small voice comes to each one of us and says, I know all about you. I know what you bring. I know whether you're here for sanctuary and healing and I know whether you're here to hide. And I want to meet you. Stand. I'm going to pass by. What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, Lord, you know the great things that I've done for you. And nobody else in this whole land seems to honor the faith that I honor. And there's nobody with me. I'm a single prophet. There were 450 of those. I'm absolutely bushed. I see no future. Just leave me alone. I want to die. And some of us whether we get to that point of extremis or not, if we're asking the question, why are we here? For some of us, this is a last gasp saloon for meaning in life, for something that makes sense. Can I actually believe this stuff? If we were to tell the deep stories of our lives amidst all the proper faith and the hope and the grand testimonies that there would be among us, There would also be, just as there is for Elijah, just as there is for every servant of the Lord from time to time, stories of depression 
and illness and tiredness and confusion. And if that's you this morning, the Lord knows and will bless you. But the still small voice comes to each of us like that and says, yes, but I don't believe in euthanasia. I believe in resurrection. So rise, stand at the mouth of the cave, and I will pass by. To those at their wit's end, don't continue to hide in a cave. Stand by its entrance and wait for the presence of the Lord. What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, you remember that there were 450 of them and only one of me. Lord, sometimes I think I'm the only person in the whole of the country who now believes that you are God. Everybody else has turned away. Nobody believes your covenant anymore. Nobody keeps your promises. I, only I, am left. And I can't do it anymore. And God says to Elijah, rubbish. We don't get to it in the passage, but if you read a little further into 1 Kings 19, God goes on to say as he's making his way back, there are still several thousand people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Take heart from that, but also don't set yourself up to be a martyr as if it all falls on you. I'll lead you to some more. And sometimes we come here from a workplace or an environment where we're the only person who seems to bear any kind of Christian witness. I was talking to someone the other day who was in an office of 18 people. And they said they're the only one who seems to have any kind of faith commitment at all. And it's an uphill struggle. And the times that they feel they want to bear just a gentle witness to something about the reality of God in their lives they feel it's counterproductive. They get cold-shouldered. What are you doing here, Elijah? I'm here because I'm the only one out there. When I come here together, there's some of us, and I feel warmed by fellowship. What are we doing here then? We're hiding. Some of us, we're depressed, some of us, we're feeling alone, some of us. Martin, you've gone off your rocker. Have you missed the actual historical theological point of this passage in 1 Kings 19? Answer, absolutely certainly. What God is saying to Elijah is, what are you doing here because although I understand all the reasons and some of the reasons are excuses that you're giving me of why you're here, this is not where I want you. What are you doing here is repeated before and after, just as in the John passage, the promise of peace is given at one point and another for emphasis, that's what the scriptures do. When they want to tell you something's underlined, they tell you it twice or three times. So although God understands, God doesn't turn around and say, oh, oh, Elijah, you are so pathetic. 
pull yourself together, man. God is very, very gracious. That's why still small voices come rather than a repeat of tearing the mountains apart. And just a subtle thing here, which I'd never noticed before until I looked at this passage, and I've looked at this passage 40 years, that by implication later on in the passage, it's only as the still small voice has spoken that Elijah actually obeys God to go to the mouth of the cave. God says, if you read the text, it's much more interesting than the sermon, read the text again. God says, go out for the Lord's presence is going to pass by. And then there's the mountains torn apart and then there's, and then there's the fire. And then after the fire, there's a still small voice. And then it says, and Elijah went to the mouth of the cave. So all the rest of the time, he was huddling in the back of the cave. Only when the still small voice comes does he tentatively do what he's been asked to do. There are things that we do because somebody smashes us over the head. And there are things that we do because somebody whispers caringly and knowingly, compassionately to us. But the key point of the text is that however understanding God is of Elijah, Elijah is not in the right place in the cave, physically, spiritually, emotionally, or psychologically. What are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. And when you listen to what I need to say to you, I want you to go back there and sustain this ministry and engage in some succession planning. Ben, what are you doing here? I heard you and mummy talking last night and you're going up north and I don't like it here. I want to come with you. Have I missed this text? Because I remember Ben in the back of the car that morning in the early 1990s, all those years ago, not because I was angry at him, but because it upset me so much. I was upset because he was upset. So hear this. The fact that some of us are in the wrong place, whether here or somewhere else, the fact that some of us are in a place where God does not really want us to be. The fact that we're here for less than perfect motives. The fact that we're here ready with all our excuses about what we've done for God. Does not prevent God from meeting us and ministering to us now, today, where we are. Even if it's the wrong place in the long term. What are you doing here, Elijah? And it's at that point in the still small voice when he realizes that everything he's been saying is just so much excuses or done away with by God. That Elijah himself comes to the realization that as a prophet, God is not finished with him yet. 
I think up to then, Elijah, with these miracle stories that begin in 1 Kings, has reached a point where he says, that was my pièce de résistance, but I signed my death warrant when that fire came down upon the prophets of Baal's altar and my own. And from now on, I'm on an exit strategy. And God says to him, no, I've still got a purpose for your life. And to frighten disciples hiding away, to those who are depressed so they think they're no use to God, to those who are lonely, God comes and says to you and to me this morning, I'm not finished with you yet. There's still a place for you and a role for you in my purposes. So that another group of God's people meeting in an upper room done bold things for God but fearing they're just about to be attacked by other authorities than Jezebel and Ahab. Have someone come to them who says in a still small voice, peace be with you, peace be with you, peace be with you, and then says to them, disciples in an upper room, exactly what God says to Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Now I want you to be sent again, to go again to do again. So my question to us all this morning is, of course, what are you doing here? But what are you doing here if God's not finished with you? What are we doing here in a world like our world in 2016 as disciples of Christ? Because to those of us who hide in church... God is saying, look at the state of the world and be my church where you are, not just withdrawing from the world and hiding in church. When we feel exhausted and even depressed and some of us feel alone, God says to us there are millions of people like that who need to hear from people who understand and trust in God. What are you doing here when I want to send you there and there and there and there and there. What are we doing here? Well, Lord, we're, we're in our hour of worship. Don't disturb us. We're singing praises to you. Don't you like them? We're praying to you. Aren't you receiving it? We're listening to your word. Aren't you pleased about that? We're offering ourselves to you and after the service, we'll meet downstairs for a chat before we go a hundred different ways. Surely, Lord, that's all right. Surely we're in the right place, the best place. We're in your house. I'm really pleased. It's great, says the Lord. I rejoice in your praises. I receive your prayers. I inhabit your worship. And remember this. When you've finished your tea and cake, I need people in my world who know why they're there. I need befrienders of the poor. I need carers for the suffering. I need fighters for justice and I need lovers of mercy. I need those who will go where no one else will go. And those who do the unglamorous and rewarding things in my name. Because I place as much importance on you volunteering to help in the night shelter as I do when you gather together in prayer. What are you doing here?
And to those who say we're gathered here because we love you and we want to worship you and we want to love what you love. Some of us say, well, we can't do much nowadays. If I was Elijah, I'd be telling God at this moment that I've got a gammy foot and my hearing aid's not working this morning. And he'd say to me, I know what you can do and I know what you can't do. And says to a group of elderly ladies, as it happened, in the York and Hull district, who decided that after 30 years of being a women's meeting in midweek, that they really ought to do something different for God. Not one of them under 85. They've now run for four years an after-school club for the local village school Monday to Friday, where they meet and receive the children from the school, and then as parents finish work, they come and collect them. Great strap line, it was in the Methodist News. We decided every child in our village decided, uh, needed a group of grandmas. God says to us, I'm not concerned with what you say you can't do. I want to know what you're going to do with what you've got. Are you praying? Prayer warriors, elderly people in the church who can no longer walk the 20 miles to X, but surround those who are active in ministry in all sorts of protective prayer and enabling. And for others, what are we going to do in God's world? What are we doing here? We have to come to the judgment that the balance of our lives is wrong. There's too much of us and too much and too little of the world God loves. And some of us, if we truly hear the gospel again and again and again, need to reassess how we spend our time, what we're going to do for our living between now and when we retire, whether we're doing the right things for the right reasons, whether or not the balance of what we give for the causes of the kingdom and what we keep for other things is right. They are the acid tests of the question, what are you doing here in my world today? In Iona, in that lovely little graveyard on the Isle of Iona that goes back 14 centuries of Christian presence there, if you walk round just outside the little abbey there and look in the small graveyard, there's one of a Christian author and it's got such a great thing on his tombstone. It says, here lies all that can be buried of, and then the name. Because you can only bury bits of Christian people. Arthur Blessett used to be an American evangelist and he used to talk about, I'd rather be worn out than rust out for the Lord. So what are we doing here? Loving God and preparing to go in his name and in his power. That's ultimately the calling of Christian people, to gather and disperse in the name of the Lord. And some of us have heard this message this morning and probably not quite got it because probably I haven't got it good enough. But the acid test is, can we say, if God says to us, what are you doing here? Answer with integrity and honesty about why we're here and the knowledge that God is not finished with us yet. 
A long time ago, I close with this, the same question implicitly, what are you doing here, was posed to a young rabbi who came from Nazareth and was gaining a reputation as a good preacher. What are you doing here, said some locals to him. And his answer was to unopen the scroll of one of the major prophets and read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And those who know the continuing ministry, the essential Christian ministry of being in him, know not only their reason for being here, but their very reason for being. This morning, make sure you know what you are doing here. Do business with God. Know that God has not finished with you yet and evaluate the question that God asks us all in 2016. In this world, my world, what are you doing here that brings glory to me? Amen.